Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Lucas Moura with the hat-trick goal! Spurs are going to the Champions League final for the first time in their history! Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. Um, the morning after the Champions League draw, we'll be talking about Spurs' group, uh, the Forest match away from home this weekend and much else besides, including the, the sound of the transfer window starting to creak clothes. And Jack, I must congratulate you um, because it turns out, and as you were the first to point out, it turns out that you were absolutely right about Tanguy and Domble all along. <laughs> he has scored yeah. a half decent goal against a, a set, decent, against, half, a, oh, against an amateur team goal. and a friendly in Have Italy. Have you seen how he hit that, Danny? <laughs> yes, I did. That was an incredible yeah. goal. Yeah, I, 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 all it took was that was that one brilliant goal for me to take complete vindication that I was right in saying how good mm-hmm. Ndombele was. I got... Uh, some people on Twitter agreed with me. Some people on Twitter said things like, did you watch the whole match then? No, I obviously didn't watch the whole match. <laughs> <laughs> I was... Uh, you, went, you went back on Scout and rewatched yeah, it. Yeah, I was watching... Uh, I was watching Rangers get through to the Champions League group stage and also, uh, I think there was some Carabao Cup game on. I did not watch the entire Napoli yeah, But also, you don't, you don't need to... Remember. You don't Why need to I? watch the whole game Why because, I? I mean, Jack, just for the people who are new to the pod, Jack has an app which whenever anything happens, however tiny, that vindicates any part of his worldview, it gets, so he gets a notification. He doesn't exactly. need yeah, yeah, yeah. to watch the whole game. Welcome to The View I mean, from the Lane. That's basically Twitter, isn't it? This <laughs> d- <laughs> dopamine <laughs> addiction that we have. Absolutely. I should say as well, a friend of mine, a Spurs fan, set up a WhatsApp group specifically so he could share this and Dombele goal against Napoli. So Jack's not the only one. Yeah, I mean, I should say, welcome to The View from the Lane, or as it's known worldwide, I told you I was right. Um, that's <laughs> what this programme should be called, this podcast programme. Get, get with the 21st century. Um, let's talk about the Champions League draw then. Not the, not the Champions League, which I think we'll get onto, but the Champions League draw itself. I, I guess the way I'd look at it, and I think one of you may have said this, is that, well done Yaya Toure, by the way, it could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Um, I love the fact that The Sun has actually run a piece today saying the headline says, Yaya Toure fixes Champions League draw. And then it says, it's all a bit of a gag, isn't it? But you know, the headline is in massive 64 point. Um, I guess the way I'd, I'd, I'd characterise this is that it's not quite the breeze that people were making out yesterday. We were lucky to draw perhaps the weakest team in, in pot one, but maybe the strongest two teams in pot three and four. Is that, is that a fair characterisation of what's happened? 
Well, it depends if you. I mean, Sporting are the, with the, have the second lowest coefficient. The Eric Dyer derby coming up. I mm. saw someone beautifully put a picture. I thought you forget that Eric came for another club, don't you? And there he is in a mm. lovely green and white kit, um, fresh faced, and but with exactly the same haircut. I like that. But I mean, I think they will be dangerous. So they've sold obviously some of their best players, and they they were the sec- they had the so- second lowest ranking. However much uh, stock you put in that, Marseille had I think the highest or one of the highest of the. Third fourth highest. pot teams which one was it jack third highest third highest um so you know they're they one also of the they're, they're well stocked with ex west ham and arsenal players marseille um yeah. with, with the inevitable itv situation comedy consequences yeah that's going to be spicy i mean uh Ganduzi in particular oh. is such a little scrappy player you'd imagine he that's will relish that for him, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and i imagine the fans will relish him sort of coming back as well. He's quite a good pantomime villain. And then, yeah, Alexis Sanchez, Kalasinac, Dimitri Payet. Um, um, matey boy at fullback. The fellows on loan from Arsenal played played left back very badly. Uh, what's he called? Kalasinac. No, the other one. They've got... They've got this oh, is Nuno Tavares. Nuno Tavares yes. is there as yeah. well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they've got, um, um, sorry, Paul Lopez, former on loan at Tottenham goalkeeper. They're absolutely stacked with ex-Spurs, Arsenal didn't, and West didn't Ham players. Didn't make a single competitive appearance for Tottenham, but he was, in a sense, a Tottenham player for a year. So it's uh, oh, time, time to crack out the Paul Lopez long read, I think. I mean, that's... <laughs> Any excuse. Very sad to see in the when Fulham got beaten by Crawley the other day, but Paolo Gazaniga is the third choice at Fulham. That can't be right. I mean, he's still the most handsome man in Britain, isn't he? Yeah, I was reminded of, of Gazaniga because, do you remember, it was, you know, Anthony Taylor with the whole Chelsea, oh, he hates Chelsea thing. I'd forgotten someone pointed out to me that Gazaniga was the goalkeeper who came oh. from Kicks <laughs> Alonso. <laughs> yeah, it was, that, that Chelsea fans, they may have a reason um, for their view of Anthony Taylor, I think it's fair to say. What did you make of the actual draw then, apart from, you know, um, fixed by Yaya Toure and the Tees? What did you think, Jack? Uh, supposed to be okay? Well, I thought the draw itself as an event was just so... Oh. It was so UEFA Champions League group stage draw. Uh, you know, having Yaya Toure and Hamad Alton top on stage, giving quotes that, to be honest, could have been a press release. You know, it will be a beautiful competition. The final will be... A, it will be a beautiful final in Istanbul. Uh, a classic, um, you know, sort of pompous to the point of being kitsch. Um, the draw itself, well, um, so my my instant reaction on this, which kind of got me shouted at a bit on Twitter, is that it was quite a hard draw. Like, obviously, Spurs have got by far the easiest team in pot one. Like, Eintracht mm-hmm. Frankfurt's coefficient particularly really without have... Particularly without Philip Kostic. Yeah, so Eintracht Frank- Frankfurt's coefficient should have them towards the bottom end of pot three. Uh, there and that's obviously like inflated by virtue of their winning the Europa League last year. They've started, I think, they've got one point th- or sorry, two points in three games in Bundesliga so far this season. They've lost Kostic, eleventh last season. Yeah, they're not, a, you know, they're not a great team. So to get them is really good. But maybe I'm just a bit swayed by the order the balls came out because I thought I think Sporting and Sporting and Pot Three are better than their coefficient suggests. Like obviously they don't have a great track record in Europe recently, but they've improved a lot under Ruben Amarim. Am- although obviously they have lost players this summer, and then I think Marseille will be really tough. And I do think also there's an element here which is that the draw is harder than it might look on paper because the fact is that even if Marseille are not an amazing team, like Stade Velodrome is an, a brilliant stadium. That's going to be a really, really tough place to go. Even Eintracht Frankfurt, they're not a great team, but they, you know, that's going to be a very tough away game. We saw in the Europa League last year, they've got a knack of beating teams who are better than them. 
They beat Barcelona, they beat West Ham. They shouldn't have won either of those games, really. Um, and then they beat Rangers in the final. I think one thing people get wrong when they when they look at this is, I know that, like, objectively, you know, you can look at the coefficient ranking or the the, the 538 ranking, for example, which shows that, you know, Frankfurt, I think there's a... Which only has five other teams in the competition being worse than Frankfurt. So, like, on... You know, if you look at this objectively, it is a very generous draw, and Tottenham are easily the strongest team in the group. But... You know, the fact is, in the Champions League group stage, the, these games aren't played on paper. They're played in Europe. Yeah. And it's hard. Like, these plays are really, really hard places to go, particularly Marseille. And so I think, look, I, I think Tottenham are favourites to go through. And I think uh, I, I think they'll probably win all their home games and then they'll only need a little bit away. But I don't think it'll be a stroll. The only thing, the only thing I would say about it is that it is very, very difficult to... Uh, and you're absolutely right about the, about Marseille uh, and the Stade, etc. But it's very, very difficult to know what kind of shape Marseille will be in. Uh, they've appointed Igor Tudor as their manager. He's gone in there, um, caused absolute ructions um, by getting rid of all the coaching staff that were there. Then he's got rid of two of his own coaching staff that he brought in six weeks ago. Um, and he's definitely not enamoured himself to the Marseille fans by leaving Dimitri Payet on the bench for two very early games this season in France. Um, the feeling among people much more expert than me is that something's got to give um, on the manager side there. So who knows um, what kind of setup they'll have by the time they get uh, to, to these games. Um, and the jo- Could be Nuno in charge. Oh, yeah, of course. That would be adding to their, to their vast number of people with a personal gripe against Spurs. <laughs> Look, let's be honest. Um, you're right, Jack, that there'll be some difficult games. Spurs will lose at least one of these games away from home, no doubt. Um, and But they should, they should, they, they should, if they don't go through, then they don't deserve to be in this tournament, do they? Um, whether they can get themselves to top spot, that's not always the, uh, the, the great thing it's, it's made out to be. You might get the runners up in that group of death and, or, or something mm. like that. I mean, broadly, Danny, isn't it just the case that it's, it's easier than it could have been? So in relative terms, of course. it's, Fairly easy, but it's the Champions League, so it's not easy. Easy. I mean, that's kind of that seems to be broadly what's happened. Here. Yeah, you, 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 it's okay to think they've done quite well from the draw, but that, that doesn't mean it's going to be a walk in the park. Right, basically, right. And and, and here's the here's the two ends of, of the spectrum. I still find a childish thrill. Of course, the draw is preposterous, peacock strutting of the most unnecessary kind. But I still got a lovely childish rush. When Yaya unscrewed the little ball, and out comes the words Tottenham Hotspur. They're in the Champions League. I was delighted. Don't want to hear that music anymore, but I still like that that moment. Um, but you know, against all that was was all the, the pomp and ceremony. But I don't want the group to be easy. It's supposed to be the Champions League. Mm. I don't want the group to mm. be easy. You want maybe you want a glamour tie, which they haven't got there particularly, but they're lovely places to go to, and they, you don't want to be easy. But Jack, then you tweeted and you may have written um sort of biting the hand that feeds um um champions league is it all that was it was your uh, was your kind of line wasn't it yeah i i definitely feel like the champions league has lost a has lost a little bit of its prestige over the last few years uh i think I think the group stage is never really that good. I mean, what what might play into Tottenham's hands here is a the fact, or what make what might make it bet like more fun for Tottenham fans is obviously the fact that Tottenham haven't been in there since twenty nineteen twenty. 
Um, also, the fact it's quite like a flat group in the sense that there's sometimes you get groups where you get two massive teams and two mm -hmm. much smaller mm -hmm. teams, and it's really obvious who's going to go through. And they end up you end up with you know two teams with 12, 15 points and two teams with nothing. Whereas this, I think, will be a bit there's less of an obvious hierarchy in this group, so I think that might make it more competitive all the way through. But in terms of the Champions League overall, well, I don't think the group stages are very good to be honest. I think that it's always too predictable who's going to go through. Yep. I think that's, and you know, that's not UEFA's fault. That's a function of financial stratification in European football. Like City, you know, City are always going to go through. PSG are always going to yes go through. Yes and no, Jack. Yes and no. Um, you're right. Stratification, financial stratification is the obvious thing here. Um, and it's exacerbated when you have the group stages and if one team does okay that you weren't expected to, their, their best two players will be bought by one of the stratus above, above them. Um, but also it, it's it, the clubs and UEFA over the past... 15, 20 years have introduced measure after measure to make the, the these group stages more boring. Or, or to put it another way, to guarantee that the top 16 teams in Europe make the last 16 and top 16 by their judgment. Imagine, and now it's becoming almost impossible to imagine, if this was an open draw. So what if Manchester City have to play Spurs? So what if two German, German teams get called together? So what if Bayern, Barcelona... Real Madrid and, I don't know, Paris Saint-Germain end up the same group. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. What it isn't, though, is a safety net. How many these clubs, they fancy themselves global players. How many safety nets do they need? It's like going to the mm. circus and watching the trapeze act doing it one foot off the ground with a massive sponge mattress <laughs> underneath them. That is not something I'd pay to see, and I feel that way about the group stage of the Champions League. And it's only going to get worse. Yeah, it is. But I, I agree oh, with you yeah. on the point of the uh, keeping the big teams apart. I do I do think the clubs should be kept apart from their own countries. I think that would be really boring. Uh, but you I agree, obviously, but I totally... you obviously don't remember the tie between Nottingham Forest and Liverpool back in the day then. Um, when, when they, the, well, when... no, I remember it. Well, no, obviously I don't. It's before 1992. Who cares? <laughs> but the two ties themselves were, I'm sorry, I'm slipping into Betjeman-style poetry, were Titanic. Um, absolutely fantastic, you know, and... But wait, were they not? They were they knockouts. They weren't. Yeah, they were. Yeah. So that's yeah. That is. A bit, I mean, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying you can't. You know, there have been some great modern. There have been some great modern matches between two teams in the same country, but groups is is a bit much. I think. I mean, obviously, and there was the bit where he was explaining at the start that geezer who, who won't shut up about how beautiful everything is, and they were explaining, and and then he actually used the phrase for television purposes. The following things happen with the group. And I mean, I mean, we all know it, but please keep the cat in the bag so we can have some, <laughs> some level of self-respect. Keep it's the cat in the Twitter bag. They call Time. saying the quiet part loud. Hmm. <laughs> exactly, letting daylight in on magic. Put the cat in the bag and then tie a knot in the top of the bag. Don't make us all look mugs by saying you're only watching a television event here. Really. Um, I mean, is, is the, the forthcoming, is it the 24 season, the forthcoming Swiss uh, format, is that going to make it any more competitive? No, it's going to make it less competitive. I think so too. So it's basically one big mega group uh, and the number of games is increased. Uh, so there'll be more group games in each, you know, each team yeah. will play more games over the course of the group stage, which obviously, you know, the more games you have, the less randomness there is, uh, which ultimately means that, that it's likelier, like the percentage chance that, you know, whether it's Manchester City or Real Madrid or whoever, that they go through will, will increase. 
but it, you know the, the other part aspect of this is the two extra places which will go to the two leagues which have the best coefficient which will probably be the Premier League which means that as we've discussed on previous podcasts it is in, if you're you know Tottenham, Man United, team Arsenal, teams who are you know in the Premier League, but maybe not quite as good as City and Liverpool over the last few years. It's likelier under this new system that you will stay in the Champions League. So it's a good thing for Spurs, I think certainly, but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be great for the competition. That said, more, you know if, if Spurs are in it or whoever's in it, more games on TV, more Champions League games. I think a lot of the problem with the Champions League group stage is it does just feel like you know fixture fixture fulfillment. You know, particularly this year when it's six group games in nine weeks. I mean, as I said uh, before, so I, I I won't say forgive me for repeating myself. That's what I do for a living. Um, but you know, it is no. It is either an, a, a magnificent mathematical fluke or no coincidence that um, exactly what you, you outlined there, Jack, that the number of Premier League teams in the, the new format Champions League is exactly the same number of Premier League teams that were going to be in the Super League. I mean, it, that's, just, that's just the fact of it. Um, and, and, you know, I, can't, I mustn't complain here. I, I used to go into a, a riff about how the top 10 teams in the Premier League about 10 years ago I thought the top 10 teams in the Premier League would eight of them would make the last 16 if you put them into the Champions League group stages because you know the Premier League continues to hoover up the best players and more recently the best coaches as well you said that last season mm. as well and I think it's a valuable I think it's valid yeah and so if you if you you know people say oh you know it's got to be a meritocracy well a meritocracy um the, the best clubs in Europe are, are, are largely to be found in the Premier League with all due respect to the you know the the nation state clubs and and Bayern Munich etc but uh they, they the, the problem here Overall, uh, and we're going to use a, a word that I have, um, I've got it out on loan at a huge cost each week from Simon Jordan, is they keep reducing the jeopardy of the football matches. And exactly, the, the yeah. beauty of association football is that because of the way it's lined up and goals being so rare, the best team doesn't always win. There is jeopardy even for Manchester City in football matches. But if you organise a tournament where the jeopardy is reduced almost to the point of zero, be very careful because people won't want to watch that. I'm convinced of that. On that topic, and I, I wanted to ask your guys steer on this, and I'm, I might put it to twist because I'm curious. If the worst happens and Tottenham don't qualify for um, the next phase, and I use mm-hmm. the ter- and I link to Jeopardy because obviously then there is you get this sort of parachute landing of into the Europa League if you come third, which is also feels quite anti-football and weird. But anyway, would you would you rather Spurs just went out of Europe completely so they could focus on the league and Conte one game a week, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, or would you rather drop into the Europa? Uh, uh, mine's a contradictory position on that. Um, I don't think it's right that teams drop into another competition, um, you know, just because of their apparent status having been the Champions League. But if they did, I'd want Spurs to win it. Um, you know, I, once you've made once you've made the walk of shame into the Europa League, then you might as well try and win the bloody thing. For sure, two but reasons. would you rather just not make that walk of shame and just exit, sort of? No, I, th- I think it's dignity. probably it, it, as a, as a route back into the uh, pointless group stages of the Champions <laughs> League. Uh, I, I think winning the Europa League is easier than finishing the top four in England. So I'd go for the Europa League. Yeah, is it? I think so. Yeah. Um, no disrespect. Winning the Europa League is really hard. Yeah, and the, really, last year's really winners really finished tenth in a in a in a less. I know, good. but it doesn't like. There's quite a lot of randomness at play there. Sure, I think you have to play so many games to win the Europa League. I don't know. I mean, like, I think Spurs would probably be better off in the Europa League for you know financial reasons, coefficient reasons, keeping the players happy reasons. 
But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I might, I'd, I'd be. Do you, curious do you to hear think, what fans the, would think the Europa League would keep the Spurs once they've had a taste of the the, the sunlit uplands of the Champions League? You think they'd be happy in the Europa League? They weren't happy in well, the no, conference. No, they'd rather be in the Champions League. Yeah. But they'd rather be in the Europa League. I think. Well, I think some people at Tottenham would be would be would rather Spurs were in the Europa League in the second half of next season rather than than having empty midweeks. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't Charlie, know. Charlie, what's your answer? What's your answer? I think it would be, oh, I don't know. I think probably, be, obviously it depends where Spurs are at in November, but I think probably better to, given the value that we saw at the back end of last season with the spare weeks, I think probably just get out of Europe completely than go into that Thursday, Sunday cycle, which is pretty hard to manage. Um, one other thing on the Champions League is that obviously the the schedule this week is ridiculous. This season's ridiculous. Six games in nine weeks is It is ludicrous how much football they've got to play. Also, having this draw 12 days before the start of the group stage, I think is even worse. Even worse than that is the fact that, you know, so we're currently recording this at two minutes past 11 in the morning on Friday. The the fixtures aren't out yet. You know, Tottenham are going to be playing a Champions League game on either the 6th or the 7th of September. So that's the week after next. And people don't know, like, you know, there's going to be thousands of Spurs fans out there who want to know, like, do I need to book a flight to Lisbon or Frankfurt or Marseille? Do I need to ask my boss for two days off work that week? And they won't even know. And you, all you for have said is that, oh, at the latest it'll be Saturday morning. But if that's if that comes out on Saturday morning, you know, Spurs fans, obviously this Monday's a bank holiday. So if you, you know, if you're assuming you're not working then, Spurs fans won't be going back into work until Tuesday the 30th of August. And at which point they're going to have to say, oh, by the way, boss, can I can I have two days off next week in, in five days' time? Like, it is impossible for fans to plan their trips to these games, whether that's at home or away, uh, in this context. And it again shows that, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to how UEFA and FIFA organise the football calendar... The la- I mean, look, the last thing they care about is the players and they care about the fan. that somehow they manage to care about the fans even less than they care about the players. It's a complete disgrace. Yeah, well, as you say, cat, bag, television, uh, all the rest of it is pretty clear. I notice um, that Isthmian League teams, handbreak term from the Champions League, are planning to play <laughs> their matches this winter um, at half past 10 in the morning because they can't afford to floodlight the grounds with the new energy costs that uh, are being predicted, um, not just in, in Britain, but in Britain it seems particularly uh, stern. Um, I, I wonder if any of the chairman will decide they don't want to, to light up these massive stadia like Christmas trees and we'll have Champions League games at 10.30 in the morning, and that which will also put Jack's elaborate travel plans um, out of whack. Uh, it won't happen, of course, I'm, just, I'm, I'm being a pixie, but just note that, that um, we've arrived at a moment in time when perfectly well-organised football clubs are having to play whenever the daylight allows them so to do. Um, Can we do a bit of Champions League trivia? Go on, yeah, I'd love some Champions League trivia. Of the three teams, and you can play along at home, of the three teams that Tottenham have drawn in their group, only one of them, I think, judging by my extensive research on Wikipedia, have they played before? Who was it? They've played Eintracht Frankfurt Frankfurt. before, haven't they? Correct. In the quarterfinals of the 1982 Cup Winners' Cup. Yep. Danny, I mean, do you I don't remember those games. No. So they, um, they lost two. Sorry, Tottenham won at White Hart Lane the first leg 2 0. I would have been there, but I don't remember this game. From Paul, uh, from Paul Miller and Mickey Hazard. Then they went to Frankfurt, went 2 0 down, so 2 1 aggregate. Then up, up pops Glenn Hoddle with 10 minutes left 
to make it 2-1 on the night, 3-2 on aggregate. Tottenham go through to the semi-finals where they get knocked out by Barcelona who went on to, to win the whole thing. I imagine for for the kind of modern generation of Spurs fans, I, maybe it is nice to have, you know, I mean, two teams they've never played before, one team they haven't played for 40 years, just to get novelty of trips. I mean, one thing that, you know, on the topic of the predictability of the Champions League is that there are some ties which just happen, you know, time after time after time. And obviously, uh, you know, to Dortmund, for example, Tottenham actually played quite a lot in the last 10 or so years. Whereas I think I'd be, I'd be interested to hear what, where fans are going to go, where they're most looking forward to. I guess it might depend on the drawing of the dates, but uh, as it, I guess if you know, if I was a match-going Tottenham fan, I'd certainly be attracted by three interesting cities and three interesting stadiums in new places. Which I think is a good point. Like you say there, Jack, they, they haven't, because they've barely played these teams or none at all, and once, you know, before a lot of fans were born, that is really exciting because often you do, you can get the same teams like with Dortmund, who they've played many, many times. Um so that element of it, I think, maybe slightly counterbalances the fact they didn't get a super club, that sort of glamour tie, which, which would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, people look at the at the at the end destination. I have to say, I'm not sure about your view, uh, Jack, that Frankfurt um, is a very interesting city. I've but never that been. may be. Um, I've never been. Yeah, well, uh, well, I, I mean, I have, but unfortunately, um, it was during the the last World Cup in Germany in 2006, and uh, England. Were playing on a su- I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and Frankfurt, the centre of Frankfurt, is set up to be a financial centre, and it was a hundred mm. degrees um, in a dusty, deserted central city. Um, those of you who work in the football industry, uh, myself and of course myself and Danny Baker, were wandering around aimlessly because we never make any plans, and we bumped we bumped into Martin Lipton, oh, wow. um, who seemed e- equally um, bewildered by where we were supposed to be going for entertainment prior to the football match. And so that stadium, the the Frankfurt Stadium from the World Cup where I just checked so that was where England beat Paraguay yeah 1-0 in the, in the group stage that was that is the stadium where Eintracht Frankfurt play isn't it I think so yeah that's right yeah okay, and was it a, hopefully more entertaining game than yeah, that yeah. that was Which, so boring Timmy also had the uh, France beating Brazil in, quarter, in the quarterfinals that was a great game ooh that was the Zidane yeah that was incredible masterclass wasn't it what, uh, was, was, was it a good stadium Danny um, yes, uh, I mean, my, my, I, was in, I was there for the entire World Cup. My recollection is that, with the exception of the, uh, the of the water running out in the game where England played, oh God, Michael Owen, I think I can't remember which game it was. The I, I, fe- I feel it was Cologne. England played in Cologne, and the water ran out in the stadium. The Sweden um, game. The Sweden the game. Got injured. Yeah. And it was an extraordinarily hot day. And I was in a very posh seat for that particular game. And watching the high-ranking FIFA officials in their gold braid, etc., having to um, having to buy ice lollies. Um, because first the beer <laughs> ran out, then the water ran out. If you remember, they put a kind of Hessian tablecloth across across the roof of the stadium to try and keep the, the heat off the players. Oh, wow. um, it was absolutely bonkers, um, the, the heat that day. And I'm not joking, I saw flunkies bringing armfuls of ice lollies, melting ice lollies to FIFA officials uh, behind me in those seats. And- the only one of these stadiums I think I've been to is the uh, Jose Alvalade, the sporting stadium. Now I've not uh, been there. Is it, I mean, I pre- I presume- uh, which is quite small. It's like smaller uh-huh. than Benfica's, but I remember it being it being really good. So I think yeah. that would be 
great fun for the Spurs fans to go there. And just to to uh, to finish this section, if I may, um, if you, we talk about the lack of jeopardy, no such lack of jeopardy in these qualifiers for the two other tournaments. Uh, just for for those of you who didn't know, this is the sort of thing that should be happening in the Champions League. Last night, Linfield had a chance to become the very first Northern Irish team ever to qualify for the group stages of any European tournament. They were winning their game in the North, in Northern Ireland until the last minute of injury time. They conceded an own goal and then went out on penalties. They were 30 seconds away from being the very first Northern Irish team to qualify for a group stage. That, my friends, is jeopardy. That's what lacking in the Champions League. And sometime in the next two or three years, I'm sure uh, UEFA will invite uh, Jack and Charlie, not probably myself, um, to come and sort that out for them. Spurs have got Eintracht Frankfurt, Sporting Lisbon and Marseille. And when all the moaning and griping about the actual tournament and how it's structured is over i can't wait for the games uh, we'll have a break and then we'll talk about the game that is coming up even before the champions league when spurs uh, take their apparently impregnable wares uh, to the banks of the trent this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Huh. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Honkas, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week the biggest last-minute comeback in Bundesliga history. Woof. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with Databeta Duncan Alexander and this week, analysis from Karl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.
Yeah, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and Charlie Eccleshare. Um, Tottenham's next uh, game is away at Nottingham Forest at the weekend. Um, and Nottingham Forest have done in the Premier League what teams often do in the lower leagues, which is to change their entire squad. Now, some of that was brought about because they had a lot of players on loan last season. But I think... Serge Aurier is uh, on their radar. And if you include two under-21 players they've signed from other clubs, he would be the 19th incoming transfer with still virtually a week to go of the transfer window. My brother sports history town reminds me that um, sometime in the last two or three years, they brought in 21 players. But as I say, teams in sort of from the championship down are a bit more prone to this. So obviously it's incredibly difficult to know um, what to say about Nottingham Forest, their lineup, how they'll play, who the new players are, and which one of them will threaten Tottenham. But we know a man who can. That's the Athletics' Paul Taylor. Here's his view on Forest. Well, Danny, yes, Nottingham Forest have indeed done a lot of business this summer. 16 new signings have arrived already, and a few more are still expected on the horizon. But uh, it was all very necessary because Forest. Uh, lost around 15 players this summer, including the five key loan signings who had a really important part to play last summer, as well as players like Lewis Graben and, and Brees Samba. So uh, a bit of rebuilding was required, but the new signings have come in and they look to have really made Forrest a heck of a lot stronger. Players like Aron Mangala, Jesse Lingard, Lewis O'Brien, uh, Tewu Uwinyi, they they've all played a part already and have looked particularly bright. Mangala adds energy and industry to the centre midfield as does Lewis O'Brien and we're, we're still to see much of Morgan Gibbs-White who, who had a very promising 20-minute cameo at Everton where he looked looked great with his link-up play and creativity and, and and seemed like somebody who could combine really well with with the likes of Lingard and, and Brennan Johnson. At Grimsby in the EFL Cup in midweek we saw Remo Frula put on a real masterclass uh, of midfield play you know he, he, he can pass the ball he can move it He's a really intelligent footballer who can bring a lot to the to the Forest team. So the work they've done this summer does make them stronger. It does make them look like a, a very different prospect to the team that won promotion from the Championship last season. But I guess that was always going to be very necessary as they try and find their feet back in the Premier League after after 23 years out of it. Yeah, there's, there's Paul Taylor um, with at least uh, some kind of view on what we might be seeing from Nottingham Forest. I mean, th- the most joyous thing in recent days has been seeing the, the name of Serge Aurier being re-linked with clubs in the Premier League. I'm going to put it out there. I, I, I was never as against Serge Aurier as, as vast chunks of the people in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium were. Yeah, they had a mistake in him. Um, unless you're Virgil van Dijk, who does... Oh, yeah, of course, but even Virgil van Dijk has a mistake <laughs> in him. Um, it happens to everyone. Also, delivery. His delivery in the final third compared was really, the, really good. Compared, really good. I don't want to start on Emerson Royal here because he's doing his level best. I can tell that. But he, uh, right now, I would say Serge was a better bet, a, a right wing back than... Than Emerson Royal is maybe not as defensively reliable. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as a player, what he could offer potentially, you could definitely see Conte enjoying work with him. I just think his his approach and his attitude and his sort of light heartedness uh, might not have gone down so well. You can kind of imagine, you know, Spurs having lost a game, Conte being absolutely furious, and Aurier still having that smile on his face because he, you know, he was great fun and every yeah. you know, very popular. People people love Serge. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he would have the intensity that Conte wants uh, from his players. But you know, you're in the right place, Danny, because we obviously he left just uh, 
around the time you joined this podcast. Mm. Uh, that happy day for everyone. Yeah. Yes, that that massive yeah. turning point. <laughs> um, but no, we we sliding were big, doors moment. Yeah, we were always big defenders of Aurier. I wrote a piece yeah. actually once saying like defending him and obviously got a lot of abuse for it. But yeah, we're we're pro. We're this this Aurier. is a, a pro Serge Aurier podcast. Yeah, we are team team Serge, which is good. The other p- player currently a Spurs. Um, rather than a Spurs, ex-Spurs player being linked with Nottingham Forest, he's been linked with a lot of clubs, is Yafit Tanganga. And uh, I, I, I want to talk about Yafit briefly here, whether he benefited from that thing. He's one of our own. And when he first came into the team, we thought, ah, maybe there is one here. Um, I personally always give young players 20 games. You know, anyone can have two good games. Um, is he going to go out on loan? Is he going to be let go permanently? Is he not quite good enough for Spurs, or could he go away and come back to haunt them, Charlie? Well, where where do we stand on well, the effort? It's interesting. I mean, Forrest, this is something I reported on whenever it was Wednesday, I think, that they held an interest, and actually that it was potentially in a permanent deal, whereas a lot of the other conversations have been about loans yeah. and options and that sort of thing, or just you know straight loans is always um, a complication. I mean. I think I think he's a, a very good prospect. I think he's been really unlucky with injuries as well. Um, that's a big part for him. Had he been able to stay fit, I mean, he, you know, even when he got injured in January, uh, he was playing a lot. I mean, obviously that was partly because Spurs had other defensive injuries, but I think he would have got you know a decent amount of game time, and and I think he will this season if he stays. Um, if I don't know, I mean, obviously this is why. Paratici and others are paid the big bucks because they want to try and make the squad perfect. But to me, the hassle and energy that would go into selling him or loaning him and then finding a replacement who's at his sort of level, so you're talking about someone who's happy and willing to come and not start a ton of games, but you know come off the bench, mm-hmm. play in the Carabao Cup, that feels like quite an awkward signing to make. So I would be tempted to keep him see where see how he goes i guess the issue there is his value might decrease if he's not really playing games and he doesn't have a especially lengthy contract um but it, it but it is a tricky one i mean i think forrest as well from from speaking to tales about what they need i think he he would be quite a good signing for them oh and and uh, you know i i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more words i i, I say with almost sawdust in my mouth in your case charlie um but uh <laughs> if he if he stays great you know um I think he's a perfectly good um, reserve player at the back there, and he covers it right right wing back as well. Um, I've got nothing against Javid Tanganga. My, you know, if he goes, it wouldn't be the end of the world either. But I'd be perfectly happy for him to stay because you're absolutely right. Spurs are now if, they, if Tanganga was to go, um, they're probably one centre half short, aren't they? We'll get on to that. I've always, I've always been of the view that I, that Tanganga would probably end up staying. I just didn't really see what. I mean, unless Tottenham really want the money from selling him, and maybe he would, you know, maybe he would want to go play more games. I think the argument for keeping him is actually really quite strong. Homegrown, versatile, very popular around the group. Um, you know, we all know that Romero is a prone to getting injured and b prone to getting carded, and so all it would take is Sanchez to get injured, and then you need someone someone to come and play on the right of the three. Um, equally, you know, I know they do have now three and a half right wing backs with with Lucas Moura, but I think Tanganga's versatility should count in his favour. So I, I was kind of always been half expecting him to stay this window, but let's let's I guess let's wait and see. Now um, we should make the point as well: is Romero going to be fit? Do we know? We'll find out. I mean, he 
it's it's a funny one because he when the sort of news broke last week that he was going to be out for a few weeks he felt very differently about that and he wanted to keep playing but then apparently this was also the case back in May when, when he had a broken he leg fun- yeah <laughs> yeah when he missed the final <laughs> few games of the season he was like let, let me out there let me out there let me play I think he is that kind of character um we will hear from Conte in a couple of hours as we record now and we'll get an update the impression Conte gave though he didn't say as much was that it was just a small thing hinting that he should be back this weekend but it depends uh it depends how the medical staff feel on that so that'll be an interesting one i mean you'd think they wouldn't want to rush him back given he has had a few injuries spurs but, don't uh, need he, him. the player will be desperate spurs don't need him do they davinson no. sanchez um I, I i promised the producer that i would work 450 minutes he's been on the pitch since spurs last conceded a goal with his presence um on the grass and I promised our producer, Jack, that I would turn this into where we beat in the, in the Beatles run of albums following our Bob Dylan <laughs> thing. But of course, then I got called up to do Through the Nights on Talk Sport and I've done no such thing. I um, should have said, I, could have, I would have happily looked uh, into that. Of course, and, but you'll have to, you, I think we use the British releases because of course the American releases yeah. were all over the place. Um, we use the British releases. We'll probably be, goodness, let me think. Where do you reckon? Well, those records They're are quite the, short. Those, those albums are short, like half an hour. In the, in the, the albums are instance. very, very short. So we'd probably be well into their sort of eighth. We, we'd be... We'd be heading it. We'd probably be halfway through Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club. I was going to say, now. would we be post yeah. Pepper? Maybe. May, oh, really? You think? Okay. Well, just how short they were. I mean, often they were oh, yeah. like thirty-five minutes. Oh, the first albums. four or five, you could you could yeah. play in two hours easily. Yeah, it is. It is an astonishing um, seven and a half hours of football with um, Davinson, the much derided Davinson, on the pitch. Um, so, well, can someone, we'll do that for, for Thursday and um, we'll have worked out, you know, would you be halfway through when I'm 64? Um, but since Spurs, of course, they could concede. Um, today is the Thursday one. We'll do it for Monday, but they may concede at Forest. We shall see. The mention of Nottingham Forest brings me around to the thorny subject of Jed Spence. Um, I see newspapers, you know, not as informed as Athletic, already saying that, there's a possibility that he might be loaned out um, in but this window. He can't window. be loaned to an English club. Oh, this of course, window. no, because um, it would be yeah. All right. And I believe he very much the, the understanding when he came was that he wouldn't be loaned out. So that will be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't expect he will be because if he, I mean, he'd have to go abroad, um, and that would be quite a sort of change. No, that, of pace. Does, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens in January, depending on how that he's playing. But it wasn't, I mean, he was Conte. And again, you never know how much his language and the fact that we pour over his words with a fine tooth comb. But he talk, He bracketed Spence with Destiny Udogi, which was a little bit surprising. I mean, yes, you, you can see why. But obviously in our heads, we're, we've sort of forgotten Udogi plays for Tottenham. He went straight back on loan, whereas Spence came in as, I think in a way, one of the most celebrated signings of the summer. Um, you know, there's a lot of hype about him as one of the most you know, exciting young English talents. So I, that just felt a little bit jarring that so quickly he appears to have become a slight forgotten man in um, in Conte's eyes. Oh, well, I mean, it's not a surprise, though, isn't it? The, the lengths to which uh, Antonio Conte, who chooses his words very, very carefully, uh, went to, to distance himself from the incoming transfer of Jed Spence. The club signing, yeah. I, I didn't like that. I, you know, um, whatever, you're, you're the coach of the team, you're given in every club in Europe, less so in Britain, but every other part of Europe where he's worked. You know, you're given the players, 
and you coach them. The idea that it, um, sniffing at um, Jed Spence to see if it suits him, um, I, I didn't. I didn't like it. I'll be honest. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, look. Conte's clearly. I think, generally speaking, since the end of last season, Conte has been a, a, a different Conte from yeah, the Conte we saw last season. He's been happier. Yeah. He's been more. Uh, you know, everyone putting in the same direction. But that was the one thing that I think was bad. Like that, you know, he, he I think he basically threw Spence under the bus by saying that. And initially, at the start of the summer, my expectation was that if they signed Spence, they would then really have to sell one of yeah. one of Doherty and Romero. Sorry, one of Doherty and Royale. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And to me, that suggests that Spence is third choice at the moment. And I, you know, so at the moment, it's difficult, oh, and, it's difficult and, to and, see and, where he fits in. And, and, and the... the the, the sort of um, measuring up of Lucas Moura during the preseason yeah. that was actually uh, again very very pointed uh, I, against the lad. I'm uh, sure that Conte. I, I'm, I'm sure that Conte would have at the start of the window wanted a top top level right wing back uh, who could you know with a lot of experience in that in that role. Uh, you know, some Ashraf Hakimi, who he obviously coached before. Uh, at but then Inter. Sergio went to Forest again. Yeah, it's just kind yeah. of <laughs> yeah. best plans. Uh, I, I imagine Hakimi probably would have been out of Spurs' price range. Yeah, uh, totally. as a PSG player. But I think that's the type of player he would have wanted. Um, and obviously, they've ended up with Spence now. But that's not Spence's fault. And it's. I just don't think it's particularly. I just. Yeah, I, I don't think it's. Yeah, it, is, it has in all the, the interest of Spence's development to talk. It about has it all way. the makings of, of Brian Hill too, doesn't it? Which would be a real shame. Um, both of them in a different ways, tremendously talented. Um, six days to go, Charlie. Um, Hill is on his way out, I guess. What news of Winks and Reggion, um, who would I would have thought would be two of the easier players to move on, and they're still determined, they're training on their own um, uh, in North London. Yes, quite a sad end, certainly for Winks, um, given how long he's been at the club. Regulon, things aren't moving with Regulon. I mean, we reported yesterday uh, Fulham and Lazio, and I believe Atletico Madrid are interested as well. Uh, I know that Fulham and Lazio have been in talks with Spurs, so I think that will happen. It's just a question of who of those he chooses to go to. Winks has got interest abroad. I think he wants to stay uh, in the Premier League. That's always felt like one which would probably go quite late. Um, you know, clubs are slightly going to. I imagine a lot of the clubs where that would be interested in Winks probably have a few options that they're looking at. Plates are being juggled. Oh, I, again, think, I think that, the last um, the last three days of the transfer window will concentrate minds tremendously. Harry Winks is a very good footballer, and to see him sitting there not not employed at Tottenham, somebody will crack in those last few days, won't they? Because he's got you know a couple of hundred Premier League games under his belt, many of them very very good games. Totally, my only, I think I guess. Winks the slight issue for him is that the way he plays might not because because he's obviously he's very technical without being massively physical um, there might be some teams who feel that's a bit of a risk but I wonder if you know a club like Brighton or someone like that who who is more technically based would have an interest I mean yeah this is a guy who was you know very prominent in the England setup until not long ago um, so it, do, it does feel it does feel quite sad you know he, an, an academy graduate coming through and ending his Spurs career training on his own but I guess that's how brutal football is yeah it is really brutal like he's been you know he's been there for he's been there for so long he was really really popular when he was first coming through obviously you know played some huge games for Tottenham played the, you know came back for played in the Champions League final having not played for the 
you know, two months before because of just how highly Pochettino rated him. Uh, I think, so I agree with Charlie, I think he does have to go to a possession-based team. Like, we all know with Winks, like, Winks has played enough football, we know that his his strength, is, he's brilliant at picking passes. Like, his ability to play an incisive pass is, I think, as good as anyone, and is as good as anyone they've got at the club. But, he's not as strong when his team don't have the ball. So I think really it's going to have to be a team which is expecting to have the lion's share of possession uh, to get the most out of Winks and really, you know, get him into positions where he can carve opposition open. But I, you know, I think like, I think all of us really on the podcast have always been quite pro Winks. Yeah. Really relative to the, the discourse. And it's one of those things where, you know, where, I think he gets he gets, he cops a lot of stick from fans in the stadium. He cops a huge amount of stick on the internet, which I think is really really excessive, given how good a player he has been. I just hope that he, you know, a bit like Delhi, I hope he can find a new environment where he's able to play regularly, enjoy himself, express him, kind of, and start playing his start playing some good football again. Charlie, I, I asked um, the the people who follow me on Twitter. God bless them. Um, among the Spurs fans, among them, if we could have one more transfer through the door before the the the, the door, the window, the window sl- slams shut, where would they need to reinforce the team? Um, different answer to that. I'll go through them in a second. But do you think Spurs are finished in the transfer market, or does the departure of Hill mean if anti- if Antonio Conte is going to be held to his word, there'll be at least one more incomer? Conte was very clear about that. That if Hill goes, someone needs to come in. Because otherwise, they're essentially a player short with his idea and most people's idea that you need two players for every position. Ditto if Tanganga were to go, um, but not regular on a winks. They're no, they're out, already, out, out of the, out of yeah. the plan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean th- that will be the the key focus of the last few days. You'd expect Frazino, for instance, on Twitter said it's got to be midfield. Um, we have not seen how Basuma will affect things, so tricky to say for sure. Of course it is. Conte is similar to Poch. What what may seem obvious in the summer turns on its head a few months in when you finally get to see the long-term plan the manager had all along. James McCann said, I think it needs to be someone homegrown, doesn't it? I think Spurs are struggling with that. Um, would like a centre-back but can't think of one. Uh, so I'll go with Madison as attacking midfielder. And thank you. A number of people talked about attacking midfielders. Um uh, and again, we mentioned this before, but it's hard to see unless he changes the system completely to what three, five, two, then where a central midfielder would fit in. Well, it depends what kind of midfielder. I mean, I liked this shout from Mike Bowden just because he's basically my favourite player in Europe is Verratti. I mean, obviously not as an actual genuine target, but I mean, I guess that kind of play. I mean, I just think Verratti. I feel this way about Thiago Alcantara as well. I just can't believe Thiago's in the Premier League because we. Those sort of players feel like a species that we just don't really get in the Premier League. I think that's like the one type of player, maybe it's a little underappreciated here. And you could play in a two and have a lot more control if you have someone like Verratti who his passing is so incisive the way he gets. And and I hope that'll be maybe a bit what Basuma uh, can offer to this team. But yes, I think at number 10, like a Madison is more to give them another option, another dimension. I don't, I don't see him as playing in a midfield two, but he gives him the option of playing three five two, or he could play as one of the uh, wide forwards. I mean, I for, for for whatever reason, um, Jack Madison kept on coming up in this Twitter thing uh, that I put out there. Why would James Madison go to play to play back up at Spurs in a world in a in a in a year with a World Cup in it? Although he hasn't he hasn't been a favourite of the England manager, has he? 
No, so Gareth, I mean, he has played for England, but yeah. he hasn't been in the in the picture for a while. I don't think Gareth Southgate, uh, I don't think his, uh, you know, things that have happened off the field haven't gone down especially well with Gareth Southgate. I, look, I really like Madison, but I just don't, I don't see the case for Tottenham buying him. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense for Madison because he wouldn't play so much. I don't really think it makes sense for Tottenham because he'd be really, really expensive and he'd be coming in to be the guy who plays, what, less than half the time? Because, like, Tottenham just, Tottenham are not, Conte's not going to rip up the 3-4-3 to accommodate a new signing. Like, he just, he obviously is not going to no, do why that. Why would he? Why would he, you know? Yeah, it, so I, I re- I've never thought that Madison made sense for them this window. And I still don't. Uh, I, I I agree with Charlie that Verratti would. I mean, look, Tottenham are not going to sign Verratti, but <laughs> he's a mate. Like his ability, I don't think there's oh. anyone better in the world than him at his ability to take the ball under pressure and just wriggle away from opponents with it. It's just unreal. Like it's kind of he's got this like freakish rubberiness and slipperiness. And then play a really incisive yeah. forward pass. He's he's a bit of a cheap player because he can sort of do the midfield two job on his own. He can yeah. just sort of sit there, get the ball, move away from, take a few players out of the out of the game, both when he's on the ball and then with his passing. Um, so yeah, just needs, <laughs> just needs to find the next variety. I think I think my favourite of the Twitter replies to if we had if we only had bring in one player, what position would you strengthen? Came from Dan Conway. I'm oh, sorry, Ben Conway, because it shows the fantastic fickleness and even almost desperation of football fans. So he says. Uh, we need a proper ball-playing defender in the Toby A mould. Uh, playing three centre-backs all the time means we often get outnumbered in midfield. Need someone who can step out of the back, join the midfield too, and pick a pass. Actually, fuck it. San Maximum, please. <laughs> so he's had a handbrake turn in the last thought of, of his tweet. Um, I suspect there yeah, will be one brilliant. more... I suspect there'll be one more small M major signing before the end of the window. Can someone just one last thing on this because we, we're running out of time. Um, this famous 150 million. Now Spurs are clearly at the moment going to be outspent in the transfer window by Manchester United, um, by Chelsea, by Arsenal, um, by Newcastle, um, possibly even West Ham, the way things are going. Um, did this, this famous 150 include the 40 million we owed um, for... Uh, Christian Romero. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Or rather, look, I don't know exactly where the 150 million is going, but I do know that Tottenham have to pay for Romero this summer. They've got, I believe, a first payment due on Reguilon, regardless of what happens to him. They've got a, you know, they will have to pay for Kulisevsky at some point in the next year or so. You know, there's two different ways they can do that, but they will have to pay the money at some point. So it's not as if Tottenham are starting <laughs> from scratch. It's not as if they could, like, they were never going to have a net spend. Of, it, it, was, it was always too simplistic to say Tottenham would have a net spend of £150 million mm. this summer. Like, Tottenham's net spend this summer, even, you know, excluding the the deals we just mentioned, would always have, was always going to be less than £150 million. Um, It was reminding me there when you said we have to pay for um, Kuliszewski somewhere down the line. Um, the first payment is due um, on Region. Um We've got the Christian Romero situation. It reminded me of uh, growing up in a working class household in the 70s where we didn't own a single stick of furniture in the house. They were all on various kinds of higher purchase. And our DER... <laughs> With options to buy. Our DER television, well, we, we, uh, which we rented, um, it got so bad, badly needed repair all the time that eventually the, the TV rental company told us to keep it. 
because it was costing them more to repair it every six months than it would have been what we were uh, the seven and six a week or whatever it was we were paying. Final um, one, uh, Foxay. I've got to be careful how I say that. Foxay, who says, uh, if you want to bring a player in, it's Leandro Damiao. If you know, you know. And if you listen to this podcast, you probably do know Leandro Damiao. Listen, <clears throat> excuse me. A, di- a deep cut for all the, all the yeah, heads out there. Absolutely. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you very much uh, to Jack and Charlie for shining once again a very bright light on the otherwise murky world of Tottenham Hotspur. And in case you're not already an Athletic subscriber, remember, you can sign up to read all the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, and it is brilliant, as well as everything else on the site as well. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. A total bargain. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Monday. The Athletic.